Hey everyone, welcome to the Legendary Tales podcast. I am your host, Adam Bloor, and as always, I am joined by Isadora martin Die. Hello. This is a batch episode. We, I don't know, I, I feel like I sort of lose the, okay, I'm going to start. <laughs> um, hey everybody, welcome to the Legendary Tales podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloor, and as always, I am joined by Isadora martin Die. Hello. This is the podcast where we talk about things that we think are legendary. We talk about monsters and and stories and people and places and things we have a lot of fun and this time we're doing a disney episode i know it's pretty cool sort we of, haven't done one sort of doing a disney sort of doing a disney we're taking a disney movie and looking at it's like Origin. legendary roots. yeah um which um, was fun yeah and we are i forgot which one you did i did sleeping beauty thank god because i had forgotten and i got three quarters of the way through my research and i was like which one did you I'm choose doing cinderella okay cool and i was like Oh no! Um, but then I, but at, at that point, I was too far in, and I wasn't gonna stop doing the research. <laughs> and I figured if we got to this point in the recording and we realized we'd done the same thing, we would have just we'd just talk about it because there was no way that I was gonna ask either of us to do new research research again. No, but luckily we no. have not gotten to that. And point. as always, important to point out that this is one of our batch episodes. So if the world has ended between now and when you hear this, the reason we're not referring to it is because we, we don't, don't know. know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so... If it has burnt down around your ears... Uh, we're sorry, but it's the week after Christmas, <laughs> so you probably feel like it's burnt down around your ears anyway. Yeah. I'm sure that we're all snuggled up under blankets, enjoying the fact that this year Christmas means that essentially you get 10 days of festive perioding in the middle. If you even want any of that. Yeah. I'm going to use it for duvet days. And, <laughs> duvet days. And Adam is currently in America. Yeah, well, not right now, but I well, will be. Well, he when will you're be. Listening. When you're listening, oh, time travel. Man. He'll man. be in America, hopefully not catching a, the Rona. The Rona. Uh, yeah, big hopefully. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're all doing. Hopefully not catching Corona. Uh, did you get? I sent you Zach's address. Yes, so we can send out another mug for <laughs> our like, what are you, legendary mess- reviewing. I messaged him last night, and I was like, "I need you to admit to me that you wrote that review because if you didn't, I'm really concerned for our fan base." <laughs> and he was like, "No, it was definitely me." He's like, "What mug are you talking about, though?" I was like, "I'm." He must. He must have just left that review for fun. No, because he mentioned like stuff over several episodes. But he doesn't know that we're giving mugs away as... He must just dip in and out listening yeah. to the ones he likes. Well, anyway. Whatever. Lots yeah. of people do that. That's, That's fine. Fair. Yeah. you. But you're starting this week. We're doing Disney. We are, and I'm doing Sleeping Beauty. Go for it. Which, as expected, because it is what you expect, is super effing dark. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to say that we are going to talk about... Issues of consent today. This is a content warning. Yes, this is a content warning. We are going to be talking about issues of consent. And let me be very clear, I believe if you're unconscious, you cannot consent. So there's not really an issue of consent here. It's just... It's the non-existence. It's non-existence consenting that is the issue. Uh, No, so we're going to talk about uh, the history of this. Um, My sources were obviously the great and one and only Wikipedia. I don't trust Wikipedia anymore, but we'll get to that. Uh, no, you should always go down to the bottom of Wikipedia and look at oh, the Oh, I don't sources. trust any of the sourced articles in Wikipedia anymore either. Oh, really? I'm having major trust issues <laughs> with my sources this okay. week. All right, fair enough. Uh, Medievalist.net. Actually, funnily enough, I'm going to tell you how I had an issue finding some information as well this week. Great. <laughs> uh, D23, which was a Disney, like one of those BuzzFeed like top okay. ten things you don't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, feministdisney.tumblr. 
who wrote a very interesting article nine years ago where she referred back to another article, but I couldn't find the article that was on another Tumblr, but that Tumblr's been taken down. Okay. Um, and then Tor.com and a, by Lee Butler, an article by Lee Butler. Um, so those are Excuse those me. are my sources. Sources. Wonderful. Um, so the first mention of a Sleeping Beauty-esque tale uh, is in something po- called Persephorest, which is now, as always, timelines are a little confusing when you go back to 13, 14, 1500s, mm-hmm. but it's thought to have been originally composed in France in the Low Countries between 1330 and 1345. What's the Low Country of France? That's a term I see quite frequently. It's not the south of France. No, it's actually northern, towards the north of France. Anyway, so in the Low Countries, they were busy writing this uh, manuscript. Uh, It was... It seems to have been written by lots of different people, if that makes sense. And then it was... uh, Manuscript C, written by David Albert around 1459 to 1460, um, is generally accepted as a revision made for Philip Le Bon, the Duke of Burgundy. Okay. In Engl- uh, well, so at this point also I will say that England stretched into a lot of the low-lying French countries. Mm-hmm. This was at a point where England was also had some of France. It's... I think a prequel to the Arthurian legends. Okay. And I was, there were quite a lot of things as I went through this where I was like, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I, we should do one on that. Okay. But like, didn't actually do the research on it because it didn't seem relevant. Okay. So this book being one of those things that I, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about, but actually the extent of it is pretty. There's Interesting. A lot, there's a there's lot, a more, lot to more to it about their version of British history and two brothers that were given England and divided. And we'll learn a little bit about it okay. as to how it relates to Sleeping Beauty, but yeah. there's a much bigger version of it. So it's a late Gothic romance novel, essentially. Um, and it was remembered but largely unread until the late 20th century, mm-hmm. mostly due to its length. And this is one of the reasons why I say I didn't really get into it. Each of its six books runs as many pages as a long novel. The whole work is divided into about 530 chapters, totaling over a million words. If translated into English, the book would run about 7,000 pages. So that's why people don't read it. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> uh, so I can't tell you much more about it because I started reading the synopsis of it. It sounded interesting, but it was super long, and I was like, this is not what we're doing today. Right. But in amongst all of this, I'm going to tell you the story of Troilus, who is our Prince Charming, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he was in search of the beautiful Zeldine, who he loved more dearly than himself. He rode through a near deserted land until he found himself by the sea and came across a ship blowing off course by the wind and tide. The crew told him they'd be headed for England, but now they were at the furthest tip of Scotland. Been sent from their home country of Zealand to find a knight named Zelandin and urgently summoned him. Uh, so, the daughter of our Lord Zealand uh, recently returned from Britain, and two days later, the strangest thing happened. It's hardly credible. She was sitting with the other maidens when she fell so deeply asleep she hasn't woken since, and her father is beside himself with worries. So, Troilus realized that this woman 
Zelandin was the woman he loved most in all the world and obviously was a little upset by this news that she'd fallen into a deep coma. So the doctors told him, the sailors told him the doctors had been powerless to help her and he begged them to quit their mission to go find this knight and take him across the ocean to Zealand because he knew a good deal about medicine thanks to his father because his father was one of the finest doctors in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's going off to Zealand to rescue his fair princess. Um, note here from medievalist.net uh, that he had a he spent a week under a spell on a little side adventure. Okay. Um, and he goes to a temple of three goddesses, Venus Lucinda, who's the god of childbirth, and Themis, goddess of destiny. Okay? And all of this is translated from a guy named Nigel Bryant. Um, and Nigel Bryant was, uh, he actually translated this whole book and it is available online, but you had to pay for it, and the book is 7,000 words, and I wasn't going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she, he prays to Venus to discover how to wake his love, and he is told, when you pluck from the slit the fruit that holds the cure, the girl will be healed. Adam's face right now. God. Heads off to find his... Girlfriend. By the way... She falls asleep on a boat that he's on? No, she is in... No, she's with her ladies in Zealand. Okay. And she falls asleep. Um, He is in Scotland. Okay. uh, Where he finds some sailors who tell him this news and he begs them to take him back. Which is when he then runs into Venus, he says... Some gross... Horrific stuff. So, um, he reaches the high tower where she's been laid to rest. Mm Mm-hmm. And a stranger appears, a mysterious messenger, tells Troilius to not forget to follow the urgings of the goddess Venus. And then transports him magically into the massively high tower where she is kept, promising to come back at midnight. So, he climbs in the window of the tower and finds his beautiful maiden sleeping naked in a fantastic, gorgeous bed. Um, He leans in to kiss her. Why was she nude? You know what? Thanks, Europe. You've got to assume that that was what her father, the Lord, told Wanted. him to do. <laughs> he leans in to kiss her. Um, and accidentally gets her pregnant. Yes. Um, and no, but he is actually reminded. Now, she has it here written as by reason and discretion. But reason and discretion both have capital letters. So I assume that they are characters in this fable. Uh. That He is reminded by reason and discretion that, and this is a quote, no man should breach a girl's privacy without her leave, and he certainly shouldn't touch her while she sleeps. Yes. Yes. So, he has a little moment where he thinks, oh, God, what's going on here? But then he reminds himself that true love can, in fact, heal people. Uh-huh. So he kisses her anyway. Okay. She doesn't wake up. So he gets annoyed, starts screaming at Venus um, for saying, like, you didn't tell me what to do. And Venus turns around and says, you idiot, I told you what to do. You just haven't done it. So he thinks, well, that seems like it's a bit of an invasion of her personal space. Yes. Waits a minute and um, Venus is, at which point Venus so inflames him that he does take Zeldin's right to the name Maiden while she sleeps. Startling at a sound she makes and ready to act all innocent if she discovers him. She doesn't wake up after this um, molestation. And 
the messenger appears to hurry him along before he's discovered. So quickly, he exchanges back the rings that he and Zeldin had traded long ago. Okay. And follows the messenger, who was conveniently turned into a bird to help carry him away out of the high tower. Mm. Okay. So, nine months later, still asleep, she gives birth to a baby boy, mm-hmm. who, searching for his mother's breast, suckles her finger instead. She immediately wakes up, and uh, her aunt explains that uh, she had made a feast for Venus, Lucinda, and Thermas at a temple, and Themis, outraged that she was not given a knife to eat with, cursed Eldeen so that the, from the first thread of linen that she spins from her disc shaft, a shard will pierce her finger and cast her into a sudden sleep, from which she will not wake until it's sucked out. So the baby was obviously born and sucked the thread mm. out of her finger. Um, of course, glaring pothole, which is... Venus should have told him to suck her finger. Yeah, I don't understand that. No, okay. Gets... Gets different. So, this is where... So, this one says... event. Uh, this is how this one finishes. So, eventually, they run away together and marry. She actually is shown to mourn her rape, even though she loves her husband. And the baby, Bunik, Benik, is stolen by from the window by a half-woman, half-bird creature shortly after he wakes his mother and becomes a great knight and performs many great deeds. So, there is, like, a second part of the Sleeping Beauty tale that kind of comes in around here. And this is where I was having real trouble sourcing Mm -hmm. where I'd found this information from. But there is a version of it where she has twins. Yes, that's the, 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 what I had read. Okay, so there's a version of it where she has twins. And it turns out that Prince Charming's already married. Mm -hmm. Living up to that name. Um... So, but he is in love with Sleeping Beauty, but he's already married. So he goes back to his castle and the queen finds out about the babies and insists that they come to the castle because she wants them cooked so she can feed them to her husband. The cook obviously doesn't think this is a great idea and swaps them out for lamb. So the husband eat lamb while the queen is like, you're eating your babies. Then she then sends for Sleeping Beauty to be dispatched of and fed to her husband in the same way. Um, but the cook tells Sleeping Beauty what's going on. She goes to the prince. Uh, the prince then dispatches of his wife and marries Sleeping Beauty, and the children are fine, and they live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any information about that second part, like, at all. So it may have been influenced by Geneve of Bra- Brambat, um, but there are influences from the Sleeping Brynhild in the Vos. No. Saga, and the tribulations of saintly female martyrs in early Christian mm. conventions. Um, this version, with the second part, was first published in 1575 to 1632. So now we're in the mid-16th century, and so far our girl's not had a lot of luck. So his collection, the one published in the early 1600s, was titled the Pent- Pentamorium. Pentamarone. I'm going to go with Pentamarone. Okay. Um, And this was a guy named Bastille who wrote it. (laughs) Yes. He was born in uh, Italy to a middle-class family. He was a courtier and a soldier to various Italian princes. Um, So I thought he sounded kind of cool. 
And he began to write, in Venice, he began to write poetry. Later, he returned to Naples to serve as a courtier. Um, and he dedicated a couple of books to him. Um, and by the time he had died, he'd actually reached the rank, uh, rank of count. He is chiefly remembered for being basically the person to invent fairy tales. So while Sleeping Beauty had been written beforehand, it wasn't really what I would call a fairy tale. In fact, there were no fairies involved. Mm. So I think by being a fairy tale, it has to have fairies involved. Does it? I don't know. One would think. So um, his fairy tales were first published by his sister, Adriana, in 1634 and 1636. And although his work was neglected for some time, the brothers Grimm picked it up and they were the ones praising it as being the first example of a collection of fairy tales. Um, many of his fairy tales are the oldest known varieties, uh, variants in existence. They include the earliest known European versions of Rapunzel and Cinderella. And with the Chinese version, which you might get into of Cinderella. Yeah. So they were the first person to really put all these different mm -hmm. kind of tales together. And they started writing up more his one was much more like a folk tale okay so it was less um horrific huh. and much more in line with what you would have seen in the disney mm -hmm. story uh he i think had nine fairies in it okay and at some point there's three in the movie right right right, right. um so brothers Grimm picked up his book about 100 years later mm. and started writing their own version of it and they, I don't, I'm sure you kind of go into some of this too. Do you talk about the Brothers Grimm? Uh, briefly. Briefly, me too. Um, so there was Wilhelm and Jacob. Yes. Who were the two Brothers Grimm. They had the same middle name. Did they? Carl and Carl, but one was spelled with a C and one was spelled with a K. Oh, that's helpful. <laughs> um, so Jacob was establishing the framework and Wilhelm did a lot of the like fleshing out mm. of the stories. Um they were deliberately producing something that was supposed to have a rustic tone. So they didn't take the previous stories as fact. They really adjusted them to suit when they were writing. They also added a lot of religious and spiritual mo motifs to the tales. There was a bit of Norse mythology, Roman Greek mythology, biblical stories, anything that he could basically throw into this, yeah. they did. It was a real melting pot. And... Um, in later editions, uh, they eliminated all sexual elements and added in a lot more Christian elements. Yeah. 1819, they, they began... They were not well-received. That first volume was not... It was too dark, popular. right? Like, yeah, and they were like, what are you doing writing children's stories? <laughs> These aren't yeah. kids. Yeah. Uh, the way that they compiled those stories, though, from what I, I had read from some source somewhere, um, is how like modern folklorists go about oh, really? doing, doing their research. So the way that... Because I think they were maybe the first pair of people to ever compile together like a compendium of folk and fairy tales into like one saleable sort of so i think they credit the other guy yeah as being the first person to do it and then they basically took his idea and did it properly yeah um and, which is why they're famous and he's not yeah and so they sort of um and they took a lot of inspiration from other folk yeah. as well obviously because that's what people do but they're credited as sort of like the compilers of folklore. Apparently that's the way people still do it. And they do it and people follow the very similar fashion. They're, they pretty much literally wrote the book on all of this stuff. Yes. So this is when the sexual rape got written out. Mm. 
It's fine, yeah. This is where she a true love kiss woke her as opposed mm. to rape. Rape, deflowering children, sucking fingers. It got a lot, lot clearer. Yes. Um, and by the way, I don't, I don't suppose you came on this, but they also removed Rapunzel was also supposed to have been having sex with the prince in the tower, and they removed that too. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't really go into them very much, and everything that I did, you basically just said. Um, cool. Um, that's making our podcast even shorter. That's fine. Um, yeah, there was a lot of weird stuff because obviously a lot of this stuff is oral tradition. Um, that sort of becomes written down as time goes on, but it's weird how much underage sex is in like the original tellings of these stories, especially because yeah. they're supposed to be well. Like a, to be fair, originally none of these stories were written for children. No, they ch- weren't because children's literature didn't exist yet. Yeah. Um. So like. Sure, it makes a little bit more sense when you think that the stories aren't targeted at children, but it's still very weird. And yeah. Like, like, you're like, what culture was this bred from? Especially because then the other part of that is that a lot of stories, a lot of oral stories that were told in this time period are meant to have a lesson because they're still mm-hmm. very sort of Greek in that way, right? Yeah. They're very like, yes. you follow the rules or get into trouble. Um, and you're like, what? I'm confused, like, she was punished for nothing and then was molested by the man who supposedly loved her, and then she woke up and she's fine now. And you're like, I'm con- what's the lesson that I'm supposed to have learned here? Yeah, I'm not, uh, there was, that was one of the things I was kind of looking for, and actually I'm going to go into a bit of a feminist, like, whatever, towards the end of it. But that was what I was looking for, was where was this moral, f- it wasn't a moral, it, these aren't moral tales, they're they are folk tales. Yeah. So I there wasn't. I think that's the difference. Like when we tell so the story of Slenderman, like we did at the beginning. Yeah. Like there was no moralistic. No, that's a folk legend. That's what I'm saying. So there was no moralistic so maybe, angle to Slenderman. I wonder if it was just a shift after the 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 Grimm's started publishing them in, in sort of in whatever and in, in volumes. If they that that's when they sort of became moralistic stories for children. But I don't. I don't know. It's a obviously you have that. It's a very clear shift now into Disney, yeah. into the Disney movie. Well, somewhere so just it's like somewhere in the hundred years. Well, I guess I guess to be fair, the Charles Perrault Perrault. Oh, who was, I have his name. Yeah, yeah I talk about okay. him. Obviously, I, I of course I have his name written because like he's, he did because he wrote Cinderella. Yeah. Yes, uh, Perry. Uh, French. Okay, so Char- him. Charles Perry. So he did. Yes. So he was like, I think the first one to write them with some form of fantastical. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I can't believe that, that how quickly that flew out of his name flew okay. out of my brain. Yeah. So he was the first one, and then I think that the the Grim uh, the Grimms did well because they kind of added a whole load of Christian stuff to it, which is what sold. Yeah. Um, apparently, the Third Reich used them. Yes, they did. I read that as well. Um, cool. And they were sort of banished from the West for a hot second. Yeah. Uh, until some European I don't know, studies I didn't see that. person was like, ah, they're fine. They're fine. They can give yeah. you good ideas too. Okay. Yeah. So, Saving Beauty, the the Disney movie. We are here. We did it. We got we here. We are here. So, I, I learned lots of stuff about this... Uh, I was expecting to learn more about the history of it and uh, less about the movie itself. That's the tough thing is like when you go into something like this, especially when a lot of it is, when we get into, and I've noticed this just 
throughout the history yeah. of the podcast is that when you get into something that is based on oral tradition, it's so hard to tack down the the origins because everyone's telling this story yeah. somewhere. So thankfully, um, Walt Disney said a lot of stuff. So we got some real stuff to do with... Is uh, any of it really anti-Semitic? No. Good. Not super problematic. But he did say, from the time I started making motion pictures, I dreamed of bringing Sleeping Beauty to life through animation. Um, they actually registered Sleeping Beauty as a planned production title in 1950, but it took nine years before they released it. And they spent, they actually, when they released it, they released it as like six years in the making. Mm. So they had done before this, they'd done uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Cinderella. Yeah. Had been come before this. There were a few more. Well, yeah, Disney's been chucking out a whole load of stuff, but those were the two like fairy tales. Yeah. And I guess. Walt Disney loved the tale of Sleeping Beauty because mm-hmm. it was one of the ones that he really hammered his production crew on. Okay. So he wanted, uh, he said at one point, he told me, the head, this is the guy who did the design, he told me after one story meeting that he didn't care how long it took, but it had to be done right. And they actually spent a lot of time coming up with the look, and mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that every single frame could be work as an independent piece of art. Okay. And it's done in this very, like... Um, it's sort of, like, effervescent. Yeah. It's, like, uh, the everything's sort of cloudy. Well, yeah, and it's done to look almost like stained glass windows, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to have this, like, medieval-y feel to it. And they spent a lot of time trying to get this look right. Mm-hmm. And and it was like something that he was, I don't know, uh, just obsessed with. Mm-hmm. So he also wanted the music to have the same visual perfection as. So all the other previous scores have basically been written for the movie. Mm-hmm. But for Sleeping Beauty, they did take Tchaikovsky's ballet of yeah. Sleeping Beauty and use the music for that. Mm-hmm. And the composer said it was significantly harder to take the score and turn it to music, turn it into a Disney movie than Mm -hmm. it would have been just to write it from the beginning. But uh, Walt Disney believed that it was so rich in depth and melody melody because that nothing that anyone wrote could have compared to what Tchaikovsky had already put out there. Right. Um, So that also took a long time. So the, Aurora, so they, um, Aurora and Briar Rose are the two names that have historically been associated with Sleeping Beauty as her real name. Briar Rose is what the Grimm uh, brothers called her. Aurora was, I think, the earlier editions. Mm-hmm. Disney used both. Briar Rose was her pseudonym while she was under, well, undercover, while she was being raised by the fairies. Mm-hmm. And um, Aurora was her actual name that yeah. she was born with as a princess. So... And it was, uh, so they used Audrey Hepburn and how she moved and looked as the basis for the mm. Aurora Princess. But it was voiced by a singer named Mary Costa, who has actually gone on to become like one of the greatest opera singers of all time. Mm. Um, and it got released and it was a critical and commercial failure. So. <laughs> they didn't have much luck in the early 50s with their movies. Which nope. And it took three decades before they released another Disney <laughs> princess film. Um, Aurora received negative reviews from both fil- film um, and critics. Uh, 
And um, yeah, it wasn't until The Little Mermaid many years later that Disney... My Disney princess was a commercial success. Yeah, your Disney princess is better than my Disney princess. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about, or not a lot, but just how awful, awful this movie <laughs> is as seen from a current perspective. And then we're going to talk about how that talk may have been wrong. Okay. So, like I said, this is going to be pulling a lot from the amazing rant that Disney, feministdisney.tumblr went on um, because she was just super passionate. Um, so she set it out quite nicely, which is one of the first big problematic things is the newborn princess is born and the gifts she gets are beauty and singing. That's all you need. Um, <laughs> which... What else does a woman need to be successful, Dora? <laughs> I'm confused. Why is that something to be angry about? So as uh, I I went I was reading a lot I read quite a lot of these like anti how bad Sleeping yeah. Beauty is. Um, I read someone being like, couldn't they have even just been like problem solving, critical thinking, no. uh, <laughs> the ability to mend stuff? Uh, <laughs> no, she got beauty and singing. Yeah. So uh, I will say that in the original one, because it was nine fairies, she got a lot more things. Mm. Because the fairies gave her beauty, yeah. song, and then the last fairy... Really small feet. Yeah. The last fairy said... Well, the last fairy was interrupted by Maleficent. Yeah. So the last fairy's wish was, you're not going to die, you're just going to sleep. Yeah. So the nine fairies had their own versions of stuff, okay. but it was all like song, dance, grace, <laughs> beauty. Uh, These are our synonyms. Yes. It wasn't great either. So... Yeah, um, and and basically her whole thing is that she is just totally passive. She um, Princess Aurora says eighteen lines in the whole Jesus. of Sleeping Beauty. Because she's asleep for most. Of she it. is only in the movie for eighteen minutes. Uh, so, um, hardly call it Snow White in the Seven. Well, we'll or, or sorry, Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty. Beauty then, uh, we will get to that as a point in yeah. a minute, which is. Uh, so, and then one of the other ones that I had never noticed as a child, because I was not brought up to notice these kinds of things, but I notice them now, is that her parents are introduced as King Stephen and his queen. And his queen, her mother, is only referred to as his queen or the queen for the entirety of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and he's given this whole, like, plot line and, like, things that happen, and, and she's just there. She's just a character. She's a set piece, even. Uh, she's never looked at, spoken directly to, <laughs> <laughs> or seen as having any importance. Like, no one's like, oh, you lost your daughter. How yeah. terrible. Nope, nothing. Uh, and and actually, even in that sense, Aurora is referred to as Stephen's child in the movie, not <laughs> her child. <laughs> the only time she speaks in the whole film is to ask Maleficent if she's offended. Yeah. Then we come to Sleeping Beauty gets woken up at the tender age of 16. Yeah, younger in the real story, I think. Yeah, younger in the real story. Disney, well done. You made it 16. Instead of 14. Uh-huh. Uh, where she gets woken up by someone who she's met for three and a half minutes while they sing a duet together. And then she wakes up and she's like... I love you. I love you. And he's <laughs> like, I love you. And then the parents are like... Here's a baby carriage for you to fill with children, and here's your own house and stuff. Um, they do actually point out that King Stephen does say, we've been estranged for her entire life. We would like to spend a little time with her first. Six hours. 
But yeah, that's kind of where it goes. Um, and she's already got house and yeah, really she's woken up to do baby making. Duh. Um, this is a European folktale, Dora. <laughs> yeah. Women do babies and sing, and that's it. <laughs> I would never have done very well. Do babies and do sing. Do babies and do, do sing. do small feet. So, much like uh, Cinderella and uh, Snow White, mm. she's really just there and rewarded for the fact that she's beautiful, kind, and obedient. <laughs> um, <laughs> she gets told to go live with fairies in the woods. She goes and does that. She wakes up and gets told she's marrying the prince that kisses her. She does that too. Why would you want any agency? Um, but I'm now going to talk about how actually the actually, if you want to look at it as not Snow White's story, mm -hmm. um, and by Snow White I meant Sleeping Beauty. If you want to, they're all at, the same. Yeah, whatever. If you want to look at it as not Sleeping Beauty story, it's actually quite it's. Disney's first foray into feminism. Okay. Because I'm going to quote from the feminist critique of animation here, which is the article I couldn't find originally because it had been taken off. Okay. As far as I the link was broken. Maleficent is the one shining spot for women in Sleeping Beauty. She is cruel and elegant, bitchy and controlling. She is easily the most powerful creature in the entire movie, and she knows it. She is very intelligent, has great power, um... However, because she doesn't know about love, kindness, this is in quotes, because she doesn't know about love, kindness, and the joy of helping others, they don't think she's very happy. Hmm. Um, I guess that comes from the movie. It, it's an argument of saying, that his, her argument is saying, she's intelligent, independent, and powerful, hmm. which makes her evil, In but still it's showing a powerful, intelligent, and yeah. independent woman. Which they cast as the antagonist. Yes. <laughs> but then, so that was like... But then the last thing, of course, is the good fairies. Mm -hmm. So I will say the feminist critique of animation says uh, the three fairies who kowtow to Stephen is what she calls them. So she didn't think very highly of them. Mm -hmm. But I read a really interesting counter-argument counter to that, which I actually believe, which is the good fairies are the ones who can concoct the plan to hide it away. Mm -hmm. Um, they're the ones who, when the plan goes awry, act to preserve the kingdom. They rescue Prince Philip from Maleficent. They guide him to the castle. They give him the necessary mag magical augmentation to kill Maleficent at the end. So, this is a quote from this article. Philip would have been toast ten times over on that rescue mission had he not had the three fairies basically babysitting him every step mm. of the way. His victory over Maleficent is not his victory at all. It's Flora's, Fauna's, and Merryweather's. So if you reconstruct the story yes. as being a fight between three powerful fairies and one powerful evil fairy, mm -hmm. you've actually got quite a feminist battle mm -hmm. on your hands. Interesting. Um, and as, as is useful to do, um, I ran it through the Bechdel test. Now, do you know what that is? Yes. Um, so it basically shows you how feminist a movie is or how well it portrays female characters. Yeah. Um, it's a ratio, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically you're in or you're out. Yeah. Really. Uh, there needs to be a conversation between two female characters. Both those female characters need to be named. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be about anything other than a male character. Yeah. You wouldn't think that this was a hard mm. thing to reach. I will say that Sleeping Beauty, in fact, passes all three tests 
quite significantly because of the fairies, because of Maleficent. Right. Actually, Prince Charming waking up Snow White is like Sleeping Beauty. Jeez. Cinderella. Um, waking up Sleeping Beauty is actually not... It's not the driving force of the movie. Right. Um, the women are. So it passes that test very, very well. Here is a quick list of all the simple, all the Disney movies that do not pass this test because I thought it was worth pointing out. Shrek. Uh, Shrek's not on here because... It doesn't pass the test. No, I read somewhere that it depends on whether you class talking about fathers as talking about men. Interesting. Oh, is, is it is it men or is it romantic interests? That's what they're not very clear because on. I thought it was I thought it was two named women have to have a conversation that isn't about a romantic interest. So, I read men. Okay. And actually, so that was what this definition goes on. Okay. So this particular definition is men. So these are movies that don't pass the test. Yes. Okay. So we're not even talking about romantic interests. They mm. literally, like, so Shrek, so she actually listed them as being 0. 0.5 if it was about, like... A man. A man. Yeah. And one if it was about... A non, there was no men involved. Yeah. So, Sleeping Beauty passes like absolutely fine okay. on that side. These are the ones that couldn't make it in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. Pinocchio, Dumbo, Bambi, Lady and the Tramp, The Sword and the Stone, The Jungle Book, The Fox and the Hound, The Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company, Aladdin. Amazingly, because I could, I, I, I never think of Aladdin as being super problematic in comparison to some of them. I mean, Continue. Yeah. Uh, the Lion King. A Goofy Movie. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mulan. Because this woman says conversations about marriage um, and squabbles between unnamed ancestors do not count. Tarzan. But why don't they count? Because you have to have a it has to be a named person okay. and not about that. So she talks with her unnamed ancestors a lot, but they're not given a name. Okay. So that's one that she was kind of but like. But there are men who aren't named. What? The, the characters that she's speaking, that Mulan is are speaking to, they're like they're her, they're her, they're the ancestors in the temple. I've seen the movie once. Oh, really? Yeah, Tarzan, Atlantis, uh, Treasure Planet, and Brother Bear. None of those pass. I mean, yeah, not even a little bit. Not really su super surprising. No. Um, a shame. Anyway, um, that was my thing on Sleeping Beauty. Um, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Don't watch it. Uh, no, it's a great movie. Uh, but just realize that you can't go around kissing or raping unconscious women just because some deity tells you because it's all right. The goddess of love tells you to do it. Yeah. Here's a real big hint. Do not take advice from any Greek or Roman gods. They got it wrong a hell of a lot. They're not they, around anymore. No, they raped a lot of people. They created a lot of weird human monster hybrids that killed a lot of people. It's just, they didn't do it right. No. Um, so, no. That was, uh, so that's my thing on Sleeping Beauty. Very neat. Alrighty, tell me about Cinderella. Okay. Uh, so I will say that when I was going to do the episode, or the research for this episode, um, I did think that it was going to be a bit darker than it ended up being. That's I think, right, I, think I, I was super dark. I think I've managed to pick the one sort of Disney adaptation that wasn't based on something... Completely horrific. Cool. Which I was a bit surprised by. Um, no, that's good. We need to... It's so, good when we even yeah, out the top. Yeah, And so I started this, my, my research, um, by just researching some of the, the changes that... 
the sort of thematic changes that that yeah were dropped away as they sort of came into the modern era. Yeah. Um, I also did some minor research on the brothers Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm. We already covered them. I was interested to see that their their lists of written of their writings included um, the Frog Prince, which I didn't. I, I don't know. That was just a weird one that I didn't know that they had done. And I think that's the modern adaptation of that would be. Wasn't it just called The Princess and the Frog? Yeah. They recently have done that yeah. in the Disney movie. I like that movie. I read somewhere that the original Frog Prince, she didn't kiss the frog. She threw it against a wall. I think, yeah. Again, quite icky. Yeah, weird. And then I I followed that up by briefly uh, researching Hans Christian. And I basically wanted to see who was writing these yeah. fairy tales at the time when they yeah. were starting to get really pop- popular. Hans Christian Andersen... Um, this is another just interesting thing. Wrote the Snow Queen, which is the reference for. Which is the reference. The reference for... point for Frozen. Okay. But in the Snow Queen, there's a mirror. There's a lot of talking mirrors, uh, and it shatters when she asks the mirror a question. Shards of glass fly into the eyes and hearts of everyone in her, in her kingdom, and they turn the people in her kingdom against her. Oh. So. Okay. Just interesting. And then this is where I, I sort of fell into Charles Perrault. Yeah. The sort of king of modern fairy tale folklore. Okay. He wrote Puss in Boots, Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, and uh, one I think one of his originals was called Bluebeard. Okay. He actually created this character. Um, he's, like I said, he's considered to be the sort of OG of modern folklore, influenced the Brothers Grimm nearly 100 years after with his sort of lexicon. So I was interested to see... Yeah. Um, um, I was interested to see what specifically changed. Yeah. Which we covered briefly was that the the stories were not specifically written for children. They were meant to teach lessons, but we don't we we are having a hard time, I think, as a modern audience, seeing what the lesson was supposed to be. I really don't understand. I mean, did you figure out what the lesson is no, in Cinderella? Not really. It's sort of a rags to riches story, but it's not like that's a, and it's that's what it is in the modern telling. I mean, that's what it stories. is, but that's not a moral. No. Um, I think I, I may have just picked one that didn't necessarily have a moral teaching, but like, but can like, can you think the, of any of them that do? Well, I guess like Hansel and Gretel is like, uh, let's listen to that's a listen to your parents' story. Although they technically get deserted in the woods by their parents. Don't the parents take them out into the woods yeah, repeatedly or, to abandon them, or they run away? Um, the pr- the frog prince. I guess you could loosely say that's like a don't judge a book on its cover. Maybe, but it's a frog. Uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame. That's one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but in that. At the end of that story, Esmeralda dies because yep. Feral, was that the the guy, the other guy's name? He mm-hmm. strangles her. Yeah. And then Quasimodo s- starves himself to death on her grave. That's how that, yep. that's how that book ends. Nice. So, again, so no, that's so, not a moral. So I'm wondering if it meant that they became moral teachings. Maybe. That's what the change was. And what's interesting is a lot of them were actually based on, loosely based on historical figures because that's how okay. literature works. So Bluebeard was one that I, I wanted to look into because it was based on a Breton. Uh, Connemore the Cursed, who was a Breton chieftain who killed all of his pregnant wives in order to avoid patricide because there was, again, a loose parable relating to his son killing him. And this was an interesting tie-in for my research. Gils de Rye, who was Joan of Arc's protector during the Hundred Years' War. Oh, cool. Um, He was a a war hero, and then he went on to murder a bunch of children. He, he kidnapped and tortured them and, and killed them. And this is what Bluebeard is based on. Bluebeard is a 
he's a kidnapper and a murderer and a, a very horrible person. But the, the Joan of Arc tie-in was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because I didn't read anything about that when no, I did so the Joan of Arc episode. I think he might, he might deserve a, an, 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 yeah. like maybe a, a feature in an episode yeah. because there's it's kind of true crimey because there's some evidence that's come out recently to suggest that he was actually innocent mm-hmm. and that the Protestant church, or what is it, the Catholic church? It was the Catholic church. And the French government may have tried to set him up as okay. like a, a as a posse base as like a, yeah. a scapegoat for for supporting Joan of Arc, and then he might have just ended up being a victim of oh okay that sort of regime. So this is where my um, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I have trust issues with all of our sources now because I found a woman whose name was Rhodopus. Okay. And I was reading an article on the history of royal women, and they claimed that she was the first Cinderella story archetype character. Okay. And I'm going to read what I learned, and then I'm going to read what Why I learned wrong. afterward. This is a story. She was a slave in Egypt. She was basically a, not a, con- what's the other word for uh, basically a sex worker that starts with a C? Uh, Mara Hari was one as well. Oh, courtesan. Yes, she was a courtesan, a very specific Greek courtesan. In Egypt during the reign of Pharaoh Ptolemies, who was a descendant of Alex, Alexander the Great. She was a beautiful servant girl, and she was bathing in the Nile. And while she was bathing, Zeus sent a... Not Zeus, wouldn't have been Zeus, because it was Egypt. I'm like... Um, sent an eagle down to steal her sandal, and the sandal landed on the Pharaoh's lap, and he said, obviously, something has dropped the sandal here for a reason. I must now go find her and make her my wife. What's interesting about this story is that Rhodopis was a real person, but she was nowhere near Egypt. She was okay. from Bulgaria, and she was basically like one of the first celebrity call girls. Mm. Um, she was originally sold into slavery along with Aesop, the man who told all of the fables. Fables, okay. And they had a secret love affair. That's a legend that is sort of tied in with Rhodopis and Aesop, was they were cool. secret lovers while they were slaves. And then eventually, obviously, you can't have love because you're a slave, and so they shipped her away okay. to... No, now Kratos, which was where the Greeks would go and trade for Egyptians, grains and goods. And basically there she managed to find a rich benefactor who bought her. And then she sort yeah. of gained the celebrity status because she was so beautiful. And they there's some some very loose folklore that the reason the third pyramid was built was because of her. She became a queen, basically. And like oh, okay. raised from courtesan to queen in order to have the third pyramid built. I don't think any of that's actually true. Nice story there. But I started to finish this. Um she was a real person. Yeah. But was not the basis for the Cinderella character. Okay. For some reason, she just got attributed, she had just been attributed to okay. that sort of kind of story. She was, that iteration of the Cinderella story was actually created by an Illinoisan mother whose name was Olive, Olive Beaupre Miller, who was having a really hard time coming up with finding stories that were appropriate to read to her child. Which I think is a a good time for this whole episode. Yes. And so she would create her own stories. Yeah. And so she loosely knew the history of Rhodopis. Okay. And and then wrote a children's book, basically, based on her as a a Cinderella-esque character. And then for some reason, that's been picked up by, like, the Huffington... The children's book, she cast her as a courtesan? No. Okay. No, 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 no. She classed her as the Cinderella character. She was this beautiful girl who's bathing in an unfortunate circumstance in her life, has... Then leads her to wow. We got like ties into every episode we've it's, ever it's, done here. There's like a whole silent pool tie in. It's here. kind of crazy. Um, so this led me to an article called "The Egyptian Cinderella Story Debunked." Okay, and that's they basically were like, "There's no evidence. Why would the fa- why would the the Egyptian 
the Zeus tie-in was because she had traveled through Greece and was in Egypt afterward, and so Zeus sent the eagle. Okay. But eagles are not very common in Egyptian mythology. They're not the bird that the Egyptians use. No, I don't their... think they're common at all, are they? No, because they're not in the region. They're not. No. In... So they were like, there's no way that she was actually... Yeah. Okay. Real person, real historical figure with yeah. prominence, but not a Cinderella basis. Yeah. Okay. The first... Written example is Yi Zhen, which you which you mentioned briefly, the, chi- the Chinese get, Cinderella story. Yeah, I didn't get anywhere into it though. So just, now I'm gonna yeah, give you the me. synopsis. This was during the Tang Dynasty, which was six eighteen to nine oh seven current era. Okay. The chief of Wudong, the clan lived in the caves. He was married and he had two wives, and with each that's that was custom. It wasn't in the Cinderella story. I think it's commonly he's married to Cinderella's mother who dies, and then yeah. he remarries. And this story, he's married to two women okay. and has two daughters. Okay. Uh, Yi Zhen, who is obviously the titular character, her mother dies. Yeah. She's very pretty, and she's yeah. very talented in pottery and poetry. Oh, good. The fairies blessed her too, then. Yes. We don't know if she was a leader or, or smart or anything, but she was good at pottery and poetry. And Jun Li, his other daughter from his other wife, was plain, cruel, and selfish. So remember, one... one I'm sorry, woo. I'm sorry, do you want to add an ugly in there? Because we're going... Well, plain. So, plain oh, plain. Look, plain. plain looking, okay, so I was like... Cruel to say, and selfish. Because that's how you know someone's evil. Is that's how you know if they're evil. Thanks, you're up <laughs> in China, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, Jean is also... The, is, so, I guess... Jean. Li, I guess Li is the name, like, you're... I, I'm confused. I don't understand how Chinese names work, I guess, especially okay. in the stories. Because Jean Li is his daughter. Yeah. But her mother is also named Jeanne. So I don't know if it's like a surname almost. Yeah, I think it's usually a surname, okay. first name thing. So but Jeanne and her know. daughter both hate Jeanne because uh-huh. her father dotes all of this attention on Okay. Her. Wu dies and his family is forced into poverty. And mm-hmm. Jeanne is then forced to work for her stepsister or stepmother. Okay. This is all very common. Okay. She's now suffering at the hands of her family and she goes up to a lake by her house where she meets a mystical fish. This is sort of her fairy godmother character. Okay. Mystical um, fish. Who's got less go- less attractive than the sparkly head. Yes, yes, but very uh, Chinese. Okay. Uh, with golden eyes and scales, and yeah. the fish says that he's her guardian spirit sent by her mother, who didn't forget her even after she died. Okay. Um, her horrible sister follows her to the lake one day and, yep. and sees Jeanne there and is, is angry that she's found a way to be happy. Yeah even though her life is terrible. And so she tells her mother. So her stepmother tricks Jen into wearing a tattered dress and okay. then goes out and kills and eats the fish. Okay. Uh, it's very strange, but... It is strange, but I, it kind you, of, it's kind what, of good. I kind of like it. What I like about... And this this reminded me of an episode of Avatar, The Last Airbender, which... I, the one anime, uh, I will say it's that... so good. One anime. I'm not a big anime person, guys, but if you haven't seen Avatar, The Last it Airbender... It is so well written. It is really good. Ben and I binge watched yeah. it, like... So do you remember... This might be a bit of a, of a, of a, hard, of a hard ask, okay. but they go to the they go to the city that's all frozen... Yeah. No. Okay. okay. So there's a there's a, a a princess and her mother is also dead. And, okay. And her spirit is within the two guardian fish. What I like in these in the stories, and I I don't know if this is a Chinese or an Asia specific thing, mm-hmm. but the guardian spirits aren't immortal. They're not. They're susceptible to death, like to being okay. killed, which I think is a sort of interesting. Yeah. There's no like Deus Ex Machina garbage where it's like, no, I can't be killed because I'm your guardian spirit, yeah. and like. Plot armor just like and it like forces the characters to sort of grow yeah. and adapt, and it's it's very interesting. Okay. So her fish spirit is killed. Yeah. And she's visited then by 
a, a, one of her family ghosts mm-hmm. who's, who comes to comfort her and says, if you bury the bones in four pots of the fish at each corner of your bed, all you need to do is ask and the, the okay. bones will, will do what you need. Okay. So in China, there's a New Year's festival, and at this New Year's festival, young maidens are, go out to meet potential suitors, um, and Jen is obviously forced to stay home because yeah. she's the horrible stepsister. Um, so she prays to the bones, and the fish spirit's spirit dresses her in, in her finery, golden silk dress, uh, like yeah. nice golden silk slippers, and so she walks herself to the festival where she's she's lauded upon as being the most beautiful women that anyone has ever okay. seen. And on her way back, she loses a slipper. And because of this, yep. she loses any connection to the bones. Because the, the fish said, you can't, like, don't lose, specifically said, don't lose the slippers. <laughs> and she lost a slipper. Of course. So she hid all of her clothes underneath her bed. Um, yeah. And the slipper is found by a peasant merchant who, through several series of and sales, ends up in the ownership of the, Tao, the Tohan King. Okay. Who is amazed by the small, how, how small the slipper is. That's what he's really interested in, is how tiny the how, slipper is. Well, no, that's a thing in Chinese culture, yeah, tiny let's feet, be honest. Yeah, tiny feet. That's true. Yeah. Um, so that's not surprising to me. Like so feet, feet binding was probably a thing. That's true. And so he then needs to find out who the yeah. owner is. Um. He goes, he manages to trace the slipper back to her village. Okay. He puts it on a gazebo, basically. He has a pedestal built, puts yeah. the slipper there because he can't find anyone who will fit it. Okay. She's not permitted to go try it on because her stepmother and stepsister won't allow her to do mm-hmm. it. And she goes to try it on, and she's arrested as a thief. Oh. Um, and then she proves that she can wear it, and the king says, well, you must be the one who I love. Yeah. The interesting ending of this story is she goes off, obviously, to marry the Tohan king. And so her stepmother, who is just a vile, vile person, forces her stepsister then to do all of the hard labor. And their punishment is the cave that they're living in collapses around them and kills both of them. Oh. And as they suffocate in the cave, she's getting married to the king. And that's how that story ends. Nice. A nice little bit of revenge. Yes. Um, I had gotten Cinderella confused for Snow... which one did you Apparently we're doing all the time. Uh, Snow, Sleeping Beauty. Snow White, where the evil queen is forced to dance in the iron shoes oh, yeah, over the yeah. coal fire until her feet turn into bloody stumps, and they go into great deal, dis- great detail describing it. Okay. I'm really glad I did this one instead. Yes. So then um, our, our old boy, whose name I have a hard time pronouncing, Charles Perrault, mm-hmm. wrote Cinderella in 1697. Obviously yeah. one of the first instances of okay. it being written down yeah. in, in, in a European language. Um, this isn't the original telling of the story, obviously, because you have uh, Ji Yang and the um, there's there was an Italian version that was like an oral legend as well, but I don't think it was ever written down. Okay, not the original story, but the most influential, specifically when it comes to the Disney adaptation of this story, because he includes the fairy godmother, the pumpkin okay. carriage, and the glass slippers. When does Cinderella get the name Cinderella? In this, okay, I mean, in that. I believe in German as well. Her name literally means like. Like fire slave or something okay. very Germanly like, specific. Yeah. So I think it's been her name forever. <laughs> Germanly specific. Well, because German, the German translations for things are the, they're not often romantic, but they are the most specific yeah. and sort of descriptive. Yeah. So the similarities, I'm just going to blow yeah. through these pretty quickly. She has a loving father and her mother dies. So she marries again, who. So he marries again, and his new wife has two horrible daughters who treat her very poorly. Her stepmother forces her into servitude. This is interesting here because I think Cinderella's father dies in Cinderella the the 
the Disney movie. Yeah. In this story, he survives and is basically so pee-whipped by his new wife okay. that he just tells her to, like, you need Back to off. Yeah, like, just obey your mother. And this is where she sits among the cinders. And his her daughter, her stepsisters okay. call her Cinder Wench. Okay. So the ball happens, and she has to make her stepsisters clothes. And and this is a bit interesting as well, because I think the fairy godmother is like a live-in maid at, huh. at, the, at the castle. Okay. So the fairy godmother, she goes... At uh, the prince's castle or at Cinderella's? Cinderella's father's castle. castle. I believe that still they're royalty. They don't like... Okay. There's no instance where he dies and they lose all of their stake, yeah. like, they, like in the Chinese version yeah. of the story. Uh, so she goes and cries to her fairy godmother who says, bring me a pumpkin. And she makes the gilded carriage and yeah. turns all the mice into coachmen. Yada, 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 which I've literally written in my notes. Uh, Disney turns this into a movie. Okay. Um, Disney's Cinderella came out in 1950, which is when they started the Sleeping Beauty uh, yeah. production, yeah. I guess. This was an interesting time for Disney because they were at the moment of this movie being sort of pitched and made. They were $4 million in debt near bankruptcy because they had lost a lot of European connection okay. because of World War II. Uh, which makes sense, yeah. yeah. You had to pick some sides. So before sleep or before God, before Cinderella came out, Pinocchio, Bambi, and Fantasia had all come out already. Like, okay. And you mentioned that, I believe. Yeah. And they all bombed. They all did I forgot super... I forgot Bambi in there because I was talking princesses, right. but But they all did very, very poorly. Yeah. Uh and so they were sort of really banking on this movie, sort of lifting them out of their debt. And it did. Yeah. It was the most popular and successful movie they had released since 1937, which is when Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs yeah. came out. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Music and Original Song for Bippity Boppity Boo. Yep. Uh, its budget was $2.9 million, and it grossed $263 million at the box office. Wow. Which in 1950 money is lots of monies. Yep. Obviously, the castle, the uh, or. Cinderella's Castle <laughs> is the the Disney Castle. Yeah. And in 2018. So, okay, tell me this. Cinderella's Castle is the Disney Castle, yes. right? But I get reading all this stuff about Sleeping Beauty being the Disney Castle. I had read that it was Cinderella. I always thought it was Cinderella. And then yeah. I was reading something about how the Disney Castle was put in Disneyland because Disneyland was opened before Sleeping Beauty came out. Okay. And how people were really confused as to what the castle was because Sleeping Beauty hadn't come well, out yet. Cinderella came out in... Yeah, Cinderella, which is what I'm talking about, came okay. out in 1950. So Disney. the castle would have been a... would have been imagery in Disney already. Okay. Uh, which might be why there... Which might be why there's some confusion, but it's definitely Cinderella's castle. Yeah. Only... Maybe it's two different castles. Maybe each... Maybe they might have them in Disneyland, Disney World, whatever. That's what I'm wondering: is does one? But they they've used this one at like there's like is it Cinderella's Castle, or Sleeping Beauty's? Disneyland has Sleeping Beauty's Castle, and Walt Disney World features Cinderella's Castle. Okay, so but that's, the logo is Cinderella's Castle. The I Disney would, Castle is Cinderella. I would think so. Yeah, because Snow White hadn't come out at this point, and Cinderella sort of. And they look almost exactly the same. Yeah, I'm sure that they're very similar. In really, really similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but apparently. The, that, I'm sorry, but the, yeah. the Disneyland that's in Tokyo uses Cinderella's castle. Okay. Like Holland. But yeah, so they have two different castles depending on which Disney theme park you go to in the States. Yeah. Okay. Um, and apparently when they Sleeping Beauty's castle was used in Disneyland, not Disney World, mm. 
everyone was really confused because... It wasn't Cinderella's castle? They hadn't seen the well, castle the at all. The film hadn't come out Oh, wow. Yet. So they were really confused, and they actually put deleted scenes... I air quotes there. You guys can't see me. Um, deleted scenes from Sleeping Beauty's castle in projected them inside the castle so that people actually knew oh, okay. what on earth it was about. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. It um, wasn't to do with what I... No, that's... No, I, I, I was... Uh, that's one of those random things yeah, that you read that's as a, you're doing your research and you think, I'll my, just lock this knowledge yeah, away. Yeah, this, this will be the more important thing in my brain. Um, speaking of nonsensical knowledge that we have locked away in our brains. Um, I do think that it's important to point out when it comes to the castles, mm-hmm. that thing. Uh, They're not historically accurate at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is also not true. But actually, um, you really, uh, uh, what you see, you think you've missed out on a whole load of rooms and stuff. Like, yeah. But actually, they're just literally stage sets. Yes. they're, they're Which I really hate. Yeah, it's kind of lame. I don't understand why they that would be the one attraction that they choose to make just a shell. Like you go inside and um like what's the point? Like <laughs> but they but like you'd think they'd have offices in there. I mean they have like Something. a restaurant, I think, in the one at Disney World. Yeah. But still, like it's a lot of space. But the one in LA was just like a just a set piece. Just basically a set Something piece. Something that they could launch. It's like half over. the size and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, anyway. So, no, cool. uh, so Cinderella's legacy in terms of the Disney movie, uh, in 2018, it was selected for preservation by the United States National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, okay. and aesthetically cool. significant. Um, and that's Cinderella. Very, very, very difficult to sort of pin origins down for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it is important to, to realize, again, if you want to be that smug prick that all your friends hate, um, and someone tells you that Cinderella was based on a Greek legend, you can go, actually, wait, hold up. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it's based on a Chinese legend. It was based on a Chinese legend. And, and do we think legend. Cinderella's as problematic as Sleeping Beauty? Um, uh, n- I no. I, I, it's, I think that the one thing you could say is possibly problematic is that her worth is sort of determined by the choosing her I think you could possibly yeah but I think that. at least he chooses her like they have they have a re- they sort of develop a relationship in the, over the least. course of an hour in the evening and I, of course um, we are basing this on Sleeping Beauty which is the maybe the worst origins of a Disney oh princess. I don't know did you read the origins of some of the stuff with um Ariel and oh god I did read that in the Hans Christian Andersen story as she's walking around on land she's constantly in pain because she's walking on the bloody stump of her tail which yeah is, Pretty horrifying. That apparently, every step she took felt like she was walking across shards of glass. Yeah, but she's also twelve. She's also a child. Yeah, that's also really which horrifying. Isn't great. Um, I want to do mermaids at some point, which is why we elected, I think, to not do yes. Ariel because at some point I'd like to do a mermaids yeah. one. Yeah. But um, yeah, but that was pretty horrific. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. No, that one. I mean, look, Ariel's pretty problematic. It's it's it's. It's interesting because the films are obviously aren't great representations. Like are no. very. Even for, like, our very traditional sort of gendered stereotypes yeah. still, obviously. But at least they're not the European versions of those. No, stories. and let's be honest. Ariel in The Little Mermaid is actually a pretty cool character. They she's give very, her real... Yeah, independence. She has autonomy. She's... Um, dreams and yeah. wishes. She's not just passively no. sitting around waiting for... She's not a set piece. Someday my prince will come. No. She wants to know what a fork is. Don't we all? <laughs> Ben's still learning how to use a fork. <laughs> um, use a fork and knife in conjunction. Yeah. 
Uh, what, 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 what do you call it? A uh, whatchamacallit. Is that what it is? Uh-huh. Thingamabobs. A thingamabob. I got 20. Um, so Disney, I mean, like, yeah. Dis- I mean, like, Disney itself as a corporation has its own issues, like, several. Um, Walt Disney himself, probably not a very nice person when it came to ethnic minorities. But that's not what we're talking about in this episode. Um yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting walk down. I expected. I forgot that the Cinderella one wasn't nearly as drastic as some of the others were. No, it's really good fun though. If you ever want to just scare the crap out of yourself, read yeah. the real Disney oh my stories. God. Yeah, movies. the Grim the Grimm's fairy tale uh, stories are are horrifying. And what is interesting now that I'm thinking about it is that uh, Charles Perrault yeah. obviously gave. Sleep or Cinderella, my God, it gave Cinderella the sort of fantastical fairy yeah. godmother. And then the Grimm's fairy tales came in, and I think they took all of that out <laughs> and just gave it some weird Christian. Well, because fairy tale, I guess, magic and. Because how did the Grimm's. Was work? it during the Renaissance? When was the. When was the. Um, the Grimm's wrote in the 1800s. Yeah, because he died. They, they both died in the 1850s, I think. Yeah. So what was the 1850s? What was between the 1700s and the mid 1700s, mid 1800s? What period of time was that? They were also. It was called early modern European history. They were also also German, so that that probably. I I, um, I don't know what the German sort of autocracy was going through at that point. I think it's before the Age of Enlightenment, which was, I think, a little later. Yeah, like early 20th century. Um. Or late 19th century. We need you know pro- what? Google's great for this. We need a producer. I know. Uh, Age of Enlightenment is 1685 to 1815. So just at the... Okay. So, they would, so this was at the end of the Age of Enlightenment. Is this... So then they must have been... I know it was... A, I, from what I was reading, it must have been a fairly conservative period. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Whatever. No, Someone who has a history degree other than me... <laughs> It is interesting to, to see that that the, they be, that it became a fairy tale in like the early or middle 1600s, yeah. and then by the time the Grimm's sort of picked it up and ran with it again. Uh, romanticism. Ah, that would be it then. That's romanticism. They were, they were you mentioned that. Yeah, they were writing yeah. the romantic period. Yep. So romantic, from, not the same meaning that you think it means. No, so we go from enlightenment to romanticism. Okay. Uh, just in case. Anyone. Don't add us. Uh, just in case anyone's interested. Also, I will say that there was a part of a uh, philosophical school called German idealism that was mm. taking place at this point. Okay. Um, so. Might have been a little bit of that going it, on. There might have been some ideas of German idealism, which is the Marburg School and the Baden School of Philosophy. This is why literature is so fascinating and the history <laughs> of literature is so fascinating because you could have, especially when, with oral stories that were traveling through Europe at basically the same rate, told by different cultures yeah. and how much it could change just based on the borders within yeah. which it was written. Um, it, they argued that the self posits itself and is a self-producing and changing process, which... That's very Aristotle of them. Uh-huh. The opponents of idealism advocated for materialism and atheism. Hmm. So there we go. Anyway, yeah, so you learned was, something that, that I... Disney and some ancient philosophy for you. I, no, that ancient. Like German 100 idealism. years ago. Marxism. Same thing. Okay. Um, yeah, Marx. This is, this is around the, the time that Karl... Marxism. This is when Karl Marx started to become a thing. <laughs> um, so what are we going to do 
I there were a couple of things. So we talked previously about doing maybe a true crime one. Yes. So we haven't done that for a while. Yeah. And um, to be fair, I might be able to stuff that research in tonight, and then we could record it. Tomorrow. We spend a lot of time in these podcasts, Adam. What are you talking we about? We could uh, record it before I leave tomorrow. That would be swell because if we do that, then probably we might only have to drop in one non-Adam with me episode, which means I I can't start the episode with and as always joined <laughs> as. Yeah, we're going to have to change the intro when I come back. And as always, unless he's gone. Unless he's gone, joined by. Um, Or we could do one over the phone if it comes down yeah. to that. But this um, means that you guys will we'll get your regularly scheduled Legendary and some bonus episodes. Maybe yeah, you, I think so. You're going to get a Hanukkah bonus. You, uh-huh. might, you might get the premiere of Badass Babes in History, which yeah. is a podcast that Dora and our friend Sarah have But we talk about around. not being able to do quick research or doing quick research. This is a po- the. Badass Babes is not a quick research mm-hmm. podcast, unfortunately. Um, so maybe not. Well, maybe it'll just be a. I mean, it could. Well, all... no, I've already got half of one recorded, oh, so really? we should be able to get it dropped in. Okay. Where you can learn about the first Muslim leader. Okay. A democratically elected leader, female leader. Wow, there's a lot of stuff in this. Okay, about. all the time. Get all of the the breakdowns. <laughs> she is of... the first democratically elected female leader of a Muslim country. There we go. There we go. So if you're interested in that, that might be coming up into your feeds at some point. Maybe if yeah, um, yeah. If you're interested in, in some more historical, more specifically historical things. Yeah, and happy new year. Yeah, have when is this? Is this coming out after New Year? No, this is coming out right before the New Year. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, enjoy. So your... be coming out on the 29th of December. Should, I think you should ring in the New Year, listening to our podcast with all yeah. of your friends. Yeah, like you dealt with Christmas by hiding in a bathtub and listening to the 45 minutes of stuff that was out to our friend Sarah, who only listens to us. Only listens to us when she's taking a bath. She is our only friend that actually regularly listens yeah. to this podcast, as far as we're aware. Yeah. No one else has come out the woodwork to tell no, us they no listen one's, to no us. One's admitted. No one else has admitted they listen to us. I think they all stay on our podcast. Um, but she once a week takes a bath, shuts her husband out the thing, and listens to our podcast. She might not have to do that anymore because her she's. I think she was doing it because her job was so stressful. Yeah. Oh, so we lost our one I think friend. We lost our, our, one of our subscribers. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank Thanks. you very much. We'll see you in a week. Goodbye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye.